Welcome to C-Suite Radio. It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, it felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Comedian Justin Smith is with me today on the show. I'm very excited. You came across my For You page on TikTok, and then I started seeing you on Instagram and all the places. So I was like, I have to talk to this guy because you're funny, and you, I, I just like your style of comedy. So thank you for your time. I know you've been busy traveling and doing a lot of things, so thanks for hanging out today for a little bit. I really do appreciate it. Oh, for sure, man. Absolutely. I love uh, I love being able to, even though my schedule gets crazy, I love being able to make time for stuff like this. And so uh, I'm very excited. Well, are you on the road right now? Are you traveling or are you getting a little bit of a break? No, no, no. This is this is the best time because I literally just got, I've been, we've been going all over. Uh, I've been traveling a bunch. I kind of just ended my last of my road dates. And then, so I'm home in Nashville for a few more days and then it's just all holiday stuff from here on out. Maybe a few, maybe a few local shows that are, are kind of like a secret, but um, yeah, yeah those, and those are my favorite. Those are the, the ones you can kind of just pop in on and people that know you were like, Oh my gosh, she's on the show. Like those, those are awesome. Yeah. I but, think that's yeah. a lot of fun when comedians like yourself get to do that because it's unexpected, you know, like we're already going to be entertained, but then we get you as an added bonus. So I think that is probably one of the funnest things about comedy is depending on the club, you just, <laughs> you never know what to expect. So that's got to be fun for you too, as well, I would imagine. It is fun. And it's also fun whenever you like, especially here in Nashville, I've kind of developed more of like a following because the comedy fans in Nashville are so amazing. They come out to a lot of like the new material and all the little shows on the kind of on the side, they come out to them. So they already know who you are. So whenever I come out, like normally they, when I was in New York, we would always hear whenever somebody would pop in, when they introduce you, there's a little bit of extra oomph from the audience. And that always feels good. And so I always would hear comics get it. And this is the first city that it's not like it's not the deafening or even like the crazy, but you can definitely hear the when you come out, there's a little bit more than with just a comic they, that a lot of people don't necessarily know. So, so that, that that little step up feels a little bit better. Yeah, no, I can imagine. It's also probably super validating, too, as a comedian to have that extra push. Well, you work in Nashville and you're based there, which I think is very cool, but you have gotten your start traveling and touring, working in New York City. I'm interested to know right. because I feel like the comedy scene, as you mentioned, in Nashville is really like hit a boom. It's almost on the competitive level as L.A., New York. Well, I would say in some rights it really is. So how has your experience been working there? Are you able to go out and do spots 
as much and as effectively as you would need to when it comes to working on new material? How, how has that experience been for you particularly? It's been very good. I've had to kind of change my game since I moved here. Like when I, when I was in Oklahoma, I kind of just took whatever bar show, wherever you could do comedy in a corner somewhere, you would just do it. And, uh, and then when I moved to New York City, it was all kind of like you kind of found your groove or who you talked to, like who you kind of ran with. Um, and then you just got up wherever you could. You would do, you know, a lot of times in New York, when you were starting, you would do uh, shows like after shows. So they would they would do a thing called late night where it's like you could they would do a show and they would just keep the show running. And the, as long as the audience stayed, you could just do comedy and then keep putting comics up. Um, but here it's been interesting because there's there's a lot of like the like obviously Zanies is one of the best clubs in the country. I'd put it I'd put Zanies in Nashville uh, against uh, any like major independently owned club oh, for sure. in the country. Just because you when you see comics that are theater arena comics, but they still come to Zanies, they still come to the club, that's means that something special is happening there. And so there's that, but there's also this very cool scene that I found here. There's a lot of like independently run comedy shows. Uh, there's this great one in East Nashville called the Dive Motel, which is like this old vintagey like uh, like roadside motel that they've made in kind of like a boutique thing. But every Thursday night, this comic named uh, MK. Uh, she's amazing. She runs this uh, great show. And so whenever I go there, I always work out new material. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of other, I mean, there's a lot of comics on the, on the East side of Nashville, which is kind of like the more, sorry about that. It's just kind of like more the, uh, like the alternative scene. Like uh, they, they're doing a lot more fun things over on the other side of town too. So I've kind of found that getting up there too, has uh, kind of diversified what I do on stage. And it's kind of crazy because they also love clean comics as well, which I did not think that was going to be the case. I've always, like when I was in New York, the, the Brooklyn scene was, was they were more like hip comics. And I didn't really like, I didn't gel as much when I went to Brooklyn. And so when I got here, they would present that kind of thing. I don't know. Is this making sense? What I'm saying? It does. Yeah, I totally get it. Okay. I'm tracking with you hundred percent. I did have questions about that, which I, I love because you do work clean, which is great. I'm right. interested to know. And plus I can watch it. The majority with my nine year old in the room, which I really appreciate. Oh, of um, course. Yeah. Which I, that was one of the other reasons why I was so interested in talking to you because I've interviewed a lot of comedians and I've had a mix of different people as a sidebar though. You've played the Apollo theater, which I think is huge for a credit to have and living here in Colorado and Loveland. I don't know how familiar you are with the area. They do a lot of local shows here, bar shows, brewery shows, pizza joints. I mean, there's literally, you could go to a show every night almost because there's so much happening and you have headliners coming through working out new right. material, which I think is cool. So I've said a lot here, but I, I will parse it up. I promise. So I'm interested to know having worked at all of these different types of scenes for you as a comedian. And when it comes to writing, 
like where where have you landed at what point were you able to find your voice and really just dig your heels in as a comedian and just lean into the talent that you have when it comes to telling jokes i think i kind of really found uh myself a lot moving from new york after covid because after i lived in new york for a long time you know covid kind of shook everything up and i found myself i moved back to oklahoma and i was just kind of in this weird place of like what do i do now like i really it really was like i kind of had like an identity crisis because i knew that i was funny i knew that i could tell stories and and the amount of time that I spent in Oklahoma, I kind of like reconnected with my roots and where I came from. And oddly enough, there was a there was this wonderful woman that grew up down the street from me. Her name was Ginger, and she was a professional storyteller. And I would just do laps. I would get in my car because I'm a I'm a cigar smoker, and so I would get in my car and I would do laps around this town that I grew up in, and I would smoke uh, a cigar and I would just think about all these things that happened to me. And I realized that this is this is kind of like the method. This is the place that I need to to kind of find again. So I've I've kind of found my style in more being like a, a storyteller. I mean, Oklahoma is famous for guys like Will Rogers. Uh, you know, this this woman that I grew up around, like s- storytellers and tall tales, and kind of like being uh, kind of like being around a campfire and telling stories. Like it's always been a part of our culture. And so I, I kind of like, well, I've always been this guy, even like I, I actually went to school to be a preacher. So telling stories, even like as far as like parables or telling stories from personal life, it's something I've done my whole life. So it's really, it was just kind of like finding that. And then, I mean, some of the best things for my special that I released, the things that people connect to are all things that I'm like, oh, I never in a million years in New York would have never been able to tell that story because that story is three minutes long. And it also takes you trusting me. And when you're doing 15 minute sets, it's really hard to build the trust that you need to tell a story to, to, you know, to be able to tell that story. It takes a lot of trust. And when you're dealing with all the things that New York clubs like bring to you, you, you just, you have to move like this. And so to have like the story investment, especially like, comics like Ali Sadiq now are doing too, where it's like, I, we just watched him in Memphis and my mind was blown about how there's a th- there's a room of a thousand people that would chew up any comic alive. And he's taking all his time and moving so slow. And it's like all this thing that we, the comics think about audiences where we're like, you have to move fast. You got to do all these things. And it's like, no, no, no. Just if you tell a great story, people are in. They're all in. In a world where everything moves fast, if you move slow and deliberate, if it's great, people will take the time and listen to it. Yeah, I find that particularly true with like a Dave Chappelle. I, I use him as an example just because he, I feel like he's obviously a comedian, but he also tells a lot of stories. There's a lot of interlinear storytelling going on with him. So even though he might start with something at the beginning, it makes its way to the very end, like a golden thread where you're like, oh, wow, I feel complete now because this whole thing has been wrapped up, which I I find what you do so fascinating because it's so different than what like anybody else might normally do. And your perspective and your point of view is funny. 
I want to talk about the fact that you did go to school to become a pastor and a minister, but then how did you find comedy? I mean, there's, as someone who considers themselves to be a believer and things like that and had the same sort of ideas, what was the break for you, man, when you decided, I don't know if this is for me, but comedy is definitely <laughs> where it's at for sure. Well, I think the the one thing with with as far as like making that jump from being a pastor to being a comedian, I always knew that I could find, like I always wanted to be like have that funny part because if if you've seen a pastor, they always kind of have the same kind of formula when they're on when they go on. It's funny joke kind of. You oh yeah, they're the, the perfect comedian. Could be. Which, by they- the way, I always had like a little thing about pastors that are always like see i'm funny and it's like no bro you're about to preach something really serious and so people come in thinking they're going to get like a a tongue lashing from their principal like imagine if you're if you're high school if you're in high school your principal comes and goes hey i need you to my office and before he suspends you he goes all right so three nuns walk into a bar (laughs) that's going to instantly be way funnier because you think you're going to get in trouble Right. So I always am like, I'm like, hey, you're 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 doing some tricks that you're not letting anybody else in on. I don't know why I'm pointing at the camera like this, but it's just- <laughs> no, it's a very true point. It's I think it's great, yeah, for sure. But I do, I do think very much. Like, uh, I found myself focusing on that because I I always felt that when I was preaching, that the stories that I would tell or the like being funny, it was kind of one of the purest moments that I would have with people. And as I've gone on in my career, like I used to sit at my table uh, with my grandma and have coffee. My grandma was an older, she's an older lady from Oklahoma. So she's very like kind of set in her ways. And I'm being a younger comic, you know, I, I uh, kind of like the way we see the world doesn't really match up. So I always knew that if I could make her laugh with something she didn't necessarily agree with in the world, I knew that it was funny. And I, and I learned that humor could unlock those things. So, and I never, I never, uh, especially now I decided that I didn't really want to be divisive. I didn't want to like a, a lot of comics kind of, kind of separate people, uh, using these topics. And I, I found that like, like laughing and and kind of bringing people together was like that was way more fun, and it was way it was kind of like a a higher calling. Yeah. And so I I decided kind of and this is a metamorphosis. This was many years of figuring this out, but I think initially it was you know when you kind of and I, I don't think, I don't know how many people know what it's like when you become a pastor or you kind of take that leap into becoming a preacher. There's a lot more things that you have to do than just preach. Right. And you don't always get to preach what you feel or how you see the world. You kind of have to, a lot of preachers, not all of them, but some of them have to kind of tailor what they preach to the audience that they're in. Because, you know, those people, they give to the church and they, you kind of have to go with where your flock wants you to go. Sadly, but that's kind of the way it works. But with comedy, it's not really that way. Funny is funny. And so it's always like I I, I kind of found that, oh, if I made people laugh, that that was all that really mattered. 
And so I kind of found that that was kind of like, that was the avenue for me. And I still love, I still have many friends, oddly enough, that are uh, pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders. Because I, again, like, you have to think that all the people that I went to college with, they're all, that's what they do now. Yeah. So, and they all, by the way, it's very funny. All of them think they can do what I can do. Yeah, I go, I'm sure. <laughs> you get eat, you get you get eaten alive, bro. <laughs> yeah, I've heard very- that's funny. <laughs> I've heard other comedians talk about that. Pete Holmes in particular, where he still has that connection on certain levels, and he has these people say, "Oh, I could do what you do." And he's, well, he's like, good friends with uh with Rob is Rob Bell. That's his name. Yeah. Rob Bell, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, you can't. It's not the same thing because <laughs> those guys have captive audiences and they're not going anywhere. You might be able to be funny. It's like you can be funny with your friends, but can you be funny in front of people who don't know you and who have never been around you and who don't get your sense of humor? So I have to know, maybe not. Like, I think I can be fun. My nine-year-old thinks I'm funny, but I, I couldn't get up in front of a group of people and tell jokes. I don't think that's not the same thing. I think, again, one of those things that's fascinating about what you do. So you make that leap, you start doing comedy. And at what point did you feel confident where you could get up in front of people and people would laugh like developing your first five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, like where were you solid at what time frame did that happen for you? Well, I think when you start, there's always that delusion. There's yeah. always like a, you're always in your head think that you're doing better than you actually are. <laughs> so you, you, you really are like, Oh man, I'm doing like so good. I think the first guy that ever saw me, that was a friend. He said, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That was his, that was his, his assessment of what I was doing. And so I think you, you always kind of in your head think that you're one thing when you're, when reality is you have many things you should work on. But I think kind of like finding that, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but eliciting a reaction to uh, from people is kind of like this this crazy thing that once you, like when you're a comic it unlocks this thing in you because i i firmly believe that like in comedy stand up is one of the craziest art forms because it's the only thing that it's like nuclear like atomic in reaction like most of the times if you go to like see like a, a like a band or you go see music, whatever energy the band puts out when they come out is kind of the same energy that the audience elicits. So it's kind of like a, a band comes out and they strum a guitar and it's really loud. So the audience knows this is how loud I got to get. So it's always like, no matter how loud, like it just continually raises the level of reaction. So it's kind of like a, it moves kind of together. But in comedy, comedy is the only thing where you can elicit this much. You can come out and say five words. And if they're perfectly timed, those five little words can make a crowd go, boom. Like it's just like it's a huge reaction with no energy. So I think that's what I always kind of fell in love with that I could, that you could come out and using something so small 
can create a reaction that's so big. It's kind of like you're like, oh, this. It's it, it, it kind of melts your mind the first time that you do it. The first time you get a laugh, and then the first time that you get uh, a huge laugh, and then the first time you get an applause break, like that. The first applause break is crazy because you you laugh so hard that there are no more like they, there's no more energy that can come out of their mouth, so they have to get their hands involved. And you don't even teach them how to do it. They just do it. When you can reach people on like a primal level with such little effort from your end, that is, that'll keep you chasing it for years. Yeah. I imagine. I think. No, I I was going to say, I think I imagine that would be what fuels you is that because it's almost validating in a way it would seem. Oh, for sure. And then it, that that keeps you going until you can kind of like you find your voice, you kind of find what you want to talk about. Because the goal is when you start, you want to be funny consistently. And then it's like, all right, well, now that I'm funny consistently, now it's funny on the cuff and off the cuff. Like how do, And then you want to marry those two where you can't see the lines in any of it. And then it's like, well, now that I can do that whenever I want, now it's how do I, what, how do I say what I want to say? Is the highest that's the hardest part but then becoming who you want to become like that's another thing too and you'll see comics go through this you'll see some com- like comics that are successful and they'll change styles in the middle of being successful and you're like well, why did you do that and then you see the end result and then you're like oh my gosh this is crazy i love it a couple more questions here i know you're quite busy but i want to know like we talked about this idea of validation, right? Like being validated by your peers, whether it's the audience, whether it's friends, family for you, Justin, I'm curious to know, like what is the highest form of validation for you? Now for me, I would think that it's the way that's a, that's a good question. I think it's the way my peers see me, I think is the biggest thing. Because I always feel like in comedy, whatever you chase, you'll get. But you don't get it the way that you think you're going to get it. Like I know several comics that I started with and their whole thing was they're chasing money. They want to be rich. And they end up getting the money. They always end up getting the money, but it's never the way that they – it's not the way you think you're going to get it. Right, and then I know people that want fame or fans, and I and I know lots of comics that have lots of fans. They have tons of followers. They sell out shows everywhere they go, but their fans aren't the type of fans that they want. But they have them. It's what they wanted, and so I think for me, my goal has always been: I want other comics that I love and respect to think that I'm dope. Like, that's it. That's what I've always chased. If I could have the best comics in the world go, well, that dude is that dude is great. He's a fantastic comic. To have comics say that about you, like, that to me, that's the best. And I would say one caveat to that, oddly enough, uh, when I started comedy, I just, and I just wrote about this. This is crazy you asked me this. Because I'm kind of thinking on the fly, and I remembered I wrote this the other night. 
uh, I was reminded when I first started comedy, I used to I used to work in the oil field, right? And so I would come home and I would watch comics on this little iPad that I had. And I'd watch it on the iPad outside. I'd smoke a cigar out on my back patio in Oklahoma. And I'd watch comics, just all this different type of comedy. And my favorite one to watch was Patrice O'Neill, Elephant in the Room. It was by far, it's still one of my favorite specials of all time. And he's, and Patrice is on the radio, on podcasts, on stage, in a roast. Uh, Patrice is still the king to me. Yeah, for and sure. In fact, he's, he's the only one, he's the only comic that has a picture hanging that's not a poster in my house. Cause it's always like a reminder that he was that dude. And I remember watching Elephant in the Room sitting outside and I just would feel every time I'd watch it over and over and over. And I would feel like how I, I felt how lucky I was to watch this project. And it made me want to be better. It made me want to be a better com- like comic. It made me want it to be funnier. It made me want to work harder. It's like I hope that one day I can create a project that's this good that somebody in the world is doing what I'm doing now. They're sitting on a back porch chasing a dream and they watch what I produce a special, a set, something. And they watch and they go, man, if I work hard enough one day, I can be like that dude. And I always thought if, if somewhere in the world, if that happened for me, that my whole life would be worth it. I love it. I've heard a lot of comedians talk about him even in recent interviews and, you know, to not just get past at the cellar, but to be invited to his table and hang out with him at the cellar or wherever he was, was almost a bigger deal than getting, than getting past at a club because he really set the standard for comedy uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, did you ever get to see him perform live or meet him before he passed? No, I didn't. Uh, in fact, uh, my buddy, uh, Nate used to tell me stories about him because Nate was, uh, uh, Nate Bargatze. I don't know yeah. if, if people know that. So he was barking, which barking is trying to sell tickets on the street, uh, in New York city. He was barking and he said that Patrice was like this legendary guy before he was famous. So before he was anybody, like he would do things that famous people would do, but he wasn't famous. Yeah. So one of my favorite things that he ever told me was Patrice used to pull up to the comedy club that Nate was barking in front of and he would throw Nate his keys and go make sure the car doesn't get a ticket. And he'd go inside to do a set. He'd just leave. He'd just leave his car parked in this place. Which, if you know where the street is, it's on Third Street. So it's like there's no, like it's like it's crazy that he would do that. He was just that guy. And I remember one time uh, Nate would talk about this car that he had, and uh, the craziest part was always the people that sat in this car because he used to. He had this old beat up like a Honda and all the comics that sat in it. Like he would talk about how Attell sat in it and uh, uh, Geraldo, Patrice, uh, Norton, all these comics 
he would run around and do spots, and kind of his trick was, hey, I'm going over here. Do you want me to give you a ride? And Comet's famous or not, if there's a free ride where I don't have to get a cab, they're in. So they'll jump in the car easy. And so he would talk about how, like he talked about how Attell used to smoke in his car and <laughs> how he was like, he never let anybody smoke in there before. He's like, I'm not going to tell Attell no, you know. And so I always, I always loved hearing stories and things like that um, from him. That was, that's always kind of been the closest I've ever been uh, getting to hear those things. But actually one of the things I do to remember Patrice is if you ever watch uh, anything of me on stage, uh, this is, and I've never told anybody this before. So this is the first time I'll say it. If you watch anything that I do, most sets, I wear two rings. I usually wear a ring here and then a pinky ring on this hand. And those are reminders of my two heroes. And one of them I wear, I wear the pinky ring for Patrice. And then I wear the other ring for Geraldo. And they're always, and you'll see me when I'm doing sets, I touch them and it's a reminder that it's like, this is the goal. Like, this is what you've always, this is why you're here to be at the level of these guys. So even if I'm doing a clip and nobody ever sees it, it's a reminder that that's not the goal. The clicks, the views, all the stuff, that's not the goal. To be great is the goal. And so if you can watch, you can watch closely, but I, you'll Now see I'm going to go back after I, we're I, done I, here and, and watch. Go do it. Go watch them. It's, I, it's crazy that uh, nobody's ever asked me about them. And, and, but you, you've, you know, this is a very cool interview. So I, I was like, oh, this is like a fun thing. So you'll be the first. I, I've never told that to anybody before, like on camera. So. I love it. Well, one last question. You have special and you have socials. Where can people connect and watch you perform? Uh, the best place is on Instagram, Justin Smith Comedy. Uh, I have a link tree in my bio. It's got uh, my full comedy special on YouTube. It's got links to all my other stuff. Uh, I have uh, the full special, and then I have a link to a set that I just did for Nate uh, Bargetzi's production company, Nate land. Yep. I did like a, I did like a 10 minute spot for them too. And, uh, and right now I got a couple of things in the works. I'm very excited about, and you can see me on a few dates in his winter tour coming up. So I, and I'll be all over the place. I think I have, uh, and then I've got some headlining dates. Uh, I think a few of them in coming up soon. So you can go to my Instagram and I'll have all my dates and stuff too. Yeah, we had Joel Zimmerman on who also did things for him too. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, Joe's great. Yeah, Joe's the best. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations on all your success. And uh, if you're ever in the Denver area, would love to come check you out and see you perform live. I appreciate your time, man. This has been really fun. Oh, it's great, man. I hope to come back. Uh, comedy, the Comedy Fort is one of my favorite places. Yeah, I love going to see shows at the Fort. I, I think they have some of the best... And one of the things that I think is cool is everybody that works there mostly is a comedian. So it's very cool. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you, bro. Thanks for having me, man. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A major proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember... We care.